The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Podcast, presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Welcome to the last AV Podcast for 2006. In this week's episode, we look back at the year's audio-visual electronics innovations. The AV Play review team have a few laughs over a festive beer and discuss the films and DVDs that stood out, for better or worse. Ian and Seth look back at what happened in the gaming world during 2006. And we give you the AV Podcast blooper reel. Yep, it's your chance to hear all the stuff that normally lands on the cutting room floor. So, 2006 has proven to be one of the most technologically advanced years in the realm of AV and all things home cinema. The big buzzwords which have turned out to dominate the last 12 months have been 1080p and, of course, high definition. As far back as January this year, we saw HDTV announcements in the UK and the two major HD disc formats were announcing rollouts for the forthcoming year. But the first real HD gadget to hit the stores at the beginning of the year in full supply was Microsoft's Xbox 360. When it was launched on December 8, 2005, the console was in very short supply. And after the initial Christmas scramble with inevitably inflated eBay prices, the console was readily available from January 2006. The 360 has the capacity to show games in 1080i, as well as outputting sound in Dolby Digital, and was an early indication of not only how good the higher resolutions looked, but threw down the gauntlet to other console manufacturers. Of course, the biggest disappointment in next-generation gaming came from Sony and its continued delay over the PlayStation 3. From an announced March 2006 release date, it finally became available in late November in the United States and Japan. Europe, however, lost out, and we're still waiting to see if it will arrive as planned in March 2007. Though, to be honest, we're not holding our breath. But all is not lost, as Nintendo scored highly with their Wii console. While not offering high definition, the machine has a very innovative control system, which is responsible for giving Nintendo their largest launch figure for a console in Europe, at 350,000 units. Still in short supply, it can be considered an amazing success for the company, and has proved an instant hit with gamers both old and new. With the world of next-generation games consoles covered, we move on to the older technology of DVD and how it would compete, especially with the new HD formats biting at its heels. DVD manufacturers such as Denon, Arkham and Samsung announced at the beginning of the year their intentions to boost their DVD players to include 1080p scaling systems to help them compete with the newer formats. Denon were first out the gates in January when they announced their top-of-the-range player, the £2,500 DVD A1XV, would be the first to support 1080p upscaling technology. They followed this later in the year with a full range of players, all offering the same upscaling technology via HDMI across the range including the entry-level Denon DVD 1730, which the AV podcast thought was so good that we awarded it our first ever AV Forum's Best Buy badge for budget DVD players. 
1080p upscaling DVD players combinated with Arkham releasing their most technically advanced player yet, the FMJ DV139, towards the end of the year. While the AV podcast has yet to review the machine, from what we've seen so far, genuine HD disc players will have some serious competition in the coming months. March saw the first of the new technology debut with Toshiba's HDA1 and HDXA1 HD DVD players in the United States. Although the competing format of Blu-ray was to appear later in the year, the players from Toshiba flew off the shelves in the US, many of which landing on the UK doorsteps of AV Forums members, eager to see the new format. And boy, they weren't disappointed. Firstly, the pricing of these new machines was a nice surprise, as they were half what we expected. Then we were impressed by the quality of the first HD DVD discs, which using the VC1 codec brought stunning images. It's fair to say that there was much adulation following the release, and it increased with the support of Toshiba and the movie studios throughout the year. It was also noted that there was a huge surge of positive feedback from the early adopters on the AV forums, on almost every single HD DVD title. Sadly, the first Blu-ray player, Samsung's BD-1000, did little to inspire the same level of euphoria. Coupled with the poor choice of MPEG-2 for the disc encoding technology, this produced some very lacklustre titles. Blu-ray had huge mountains to climb, right from the start. But it wasn't long before the Sony PR machine kicked into high gear, and the AV podcast itself was singled out by Sony executives to help try and push the format's launch in the UK. At a very secretive closed-door session, Sony executive Don Eklund explained the virtues of Blu-ray as a format and deflected criticism over the use of the MPEG-2 codec. Sony's presentation clearly illustrated the impressive advantage of Blu-ray over standard DVD. Although it didn't persuade us that Blu-ray has what it takes to beat HD DVD. In fact, the whole issue over which encoding technology is being used by the two formats has become a real hot potato for the people on the AV forums over the course of the year, where many a debate has become a passionate battleground between opposing supporters. For us, this culminated at the end of the year in Guildford, with an invite to hear Microsoft's version of events and why their VC1 codec was proving so popular with early adopters. With standalone players for both formats now available in UK stores, the format war has found a new battleground. And not surprisingly, things are already heating up as the boast from Sony that their Blu-ray-enabled PlayStation 3 will help their cause was firmly put to bed by the release of Microsoft's stunningly affordable £130 Xbox 360 HD DVD drive. It's flown off the shelves in the UK and introduced more people to the HD DVD format than ever before. Remarkably, it would seem that 36% of forum members partaking in a recent poll are currently being put off either HD disc format due to the current war. So, if you wanted HD, what was the alternative in 2006? In May, we finally saw high-definition TV arrive in the UK, courtesy of Sky and Telewest. The Telewest system was the first up and running with its on-demand HD services. Way back in April, in our fourth podcast, Richard Guest of Telewest joined us to explain the new service. 
While Telewest offered HD on demand, Sky announced that instead of 720p broadcasting, it had decided to adopt 1080i and offer a full HD schedule across several channels. After an initial delay in launching the format due to shortages of the HD receiver, by year's end, Sky was comfortably boasting that it had attracted 90,000 HD subscribers. Meanwhile, the country's domestic terrestrial TV channels were running their own trials with free-to-air HD TV. The results of this trial were published in November, and again, the overwhelming opinion of those taking part was that they would like to see HDTV free-to-air as soon as possible. However, it currently looks like being unavailable for a few years, if at all. So, with HD content appearing in a variety of delivery devices, HD-ready display technology has become more popular and affordable than ever. Flat panel TV technology has moved at lightning pace this year, with the introduction towards the fourth quarter of more affordable 1080p devices. Hitachi, Sharp, Sony, Fujitsu and Pioneer have released some of their best and largest flat panel displays yet, all encompassing 1080p technology. So why is bigger better in the flat panel TV market? Well, it's become pretty obvious as the year has progressed that to get the best out of 1080p source material, we need the biggest display device you can buy. With standard TV, the optimal seating position had to be a fair distance away from the screen. Otherwise, we saw the flaws in the picture. It's a different story, however, with HD since the picture is so much more detailed, so we can sit closer or at the same distance from a bigger TV. This factor has seen the market for front projection explode. More and more manufacturers are bringing 1080p projectors to market this year at more affordable price levels than ever before. And who can argue with watching HD material on 7 or 8 foot screens? The obvious standout projector of the year has to be the Sony Peril or PLVW50 to give it its correct name. This machine has not only brought 1080p 3-chip technology to the marketplace, but has done so at a price level previously unheard of. This can only bode well for the future of front projection technology, as more and more manufacturers introduce similar products at more competitive prices. All this technology was brought together under one roof at one of the biggest consumer electronics gatherings of the year, which was the What Hi-Fi and Best of Stuff show in November. The AV Podcast was on hand throughout the three-day event to talk to manufacturers and to see the technology for ourselves. This culminated in a very special podcast where the opinions of the industry insiders and manufacturers present were captured for those who couldn't make the event. Finally, with the words 1080p and high definition dominating the year, few would be forgiven for thinking that the world of home cinema audio had been forgotten. However, 2006 has seen just as much innovation in the audio market. The usual big names such as Yamaha, Denon and Pioneer have released some of the most cutting-edge integrated amplifiers and receivers yet seen. In fact, Denon, all the way back in June, released its Uber Amp, the £4,800 AVC A1 XVA. This huge 40 kilogram amplifier has to be one of the most technologically advanced and heaviest amplifiers to hit the UK market. In fact, the only thing it doesn't do is make a cuppa. Meanwhile, Yamaha finally teamed up with Audio Guru's THX to introduce a new line of integrated home cinema amplifiers. 
and Pioneer have continued to offer the latest technology at extremely reasonable prices. And the processor market has not been forgotten about this year either, with Lexicon finally offering an HD version of its top-of-the-range MC12 processor, which now incorporates HDMI technology. UK manufacturer Arkham replaced its very popular AV8 with an unimaginatively named AV9 processor, which finally took advantage of HDMI. This processor, recently heard by the AV podcast in one of the UK's best demo rooms, certainly lives up to Arkham's FMJ reputation, and will certainly prove to be as popular as its previous model. In the world of speakers, there were far too many innovations from the usual suspects to possibly mention here, but in the world of subwoofers, UK direct sales company BK Electronics launched what was to become the enormously popular monolith subwoofer in both downward and front-firing guises. This competitively priced behemoth certainly caught the AV Forum's members' imagination, and this, coupled with new models from the likes of Velodyne, Rel, SVS and MNK, has seen sub-bass fans have one of the best years yet in terms of choice and performance available. So as we move on to 2007, we can only hope that this new vigour in the world of home cinema and AV technology continues to develop, with even more innovation in technology and quality for us all to enjoy. 2007 is certainly shaping up to be one of the most exciting years in home cinema yet, and we guarantee that the AV podcast will remain at the cutting edge. The biggest news and the best, best, best reviews. Best reviews. Hard, tiring work. You're listening to the AV Podcast. This week's roundtable discussion, hosted by Phil Hinton. So, for our end of year roundtable, we have Chris McAnini, Simon Crust, and Seth Gecko, who are joining us to discuss the highs and lows of 2006 when it comes to DVDs and films. In general. So to kick off the conversation, why don't we cross over to the man who doesn't draw breath? He's been famous this year for talking and talking and talking. It's Chris McAnini. Oh, me? Oh, finally I get a word in edgeways. Um, As yes. Well, what a year it has been. To be honest, I think it's been a fabulous year for DVDs um, because there's been so many of my favourite genre, horror movies, fantasy movies, sci-fi movies, from yesteryear. In fact, I can't think of another time when there's been so many coming out. A lot of my favourites seem to be, be pressed and become DVDs, little shiny discs of joy. Um, and just as a quick rundown of what I particularly enjoyed, only recently, Forbidden Planet finally came out in, in a release which was worthy of um, the format, with lots and lots of extras. And if you got the Ultimate Edition, a nice little figure of Robbie the Robot as well. Going a bit further back, you've had the 75th anniversary of Dracula and Frankenstein, which came out in fantastic editions yet again. You had plenty of Boris Karloff collections. All These were all Region 1, and I got them all, and I can recommend them all. One being the Boris Karloff collection, which it has, if I just get it down from the shelf right now, um, a lot of classics. The Night Key, Tower of London, The Climax, The Strange Door, and The Black Castle. Not immediately um, films that leap out in his canon, but they're all extremely atmospheric and well worth looking at. The other one was, would be the Icons of Horror Collection, featuring Boris Karloff. Four classic movies on DVD, The Black Room, The Man They Could Not Hang, Before I Hang, and a bit of a spoof on this, The Boogeyman Will Get You. Again, v- 
Both collections are very well remastered, considering they're such vintage movies, and I heartily recommend them if you're into that kind of thing. But I have to say, in the vintage um, movie section of my overview of the year, I would say the Hollywood Legends of Horror collection is, a, is the best one and the one to go for, without a doubt. Here you have a lot of movies which never had seen the light of day before on, uh, well, on disc, on, on VHS, let alone disc. Uh, you had here the Mark of the Vampire from the guy who brought Dracula to the screen originally, Todd Browning. Brilliant, brilliant movie. Mask of Fu Manchu, Boris Karloff. It's okay, it's atmospheric, it's... I was going to say it's colourful, but for a black and white movie that's a pretty tall order. But I think you get my drift. Doctor X, uh, a fantastic little atmospheric horror thriller. The Return of Doctor X, barely even related to the original movie, but at least it has Humphrey Bogart with his strange Malin streak to his hair and a few strange obsessions. Mad Love, an absolute classic. Peter Lorre um, as the surgeon who replaces the famed pianist's hands with the hands of a killer. Great, great movie. Uh, it's got a lot of a lot of atmosphere to it, a lot of mood. It's quite subversive too. The camera angles are particularly good. There's a bit of German expression, expressionism thrown in there. And finally, on that, this collection, The Devil Doll. Lionel Barrymore owns a toy shop and makes miniature people, basically. It's, again, Todd Browning directs this one. And it's well, it's, it's a great little pop boiler. It's a, a nice late-night sort of movie. Um, to move further on into releases that I particularly enjoyed this year, um, there were some absolute classics which I enjoyed when I was a kid uh, from repeated TV showings and, and from going to flicks to go and see as well, which I never ever thought would ever come out on disc. The first one being The Car, which I, I reviewed on, on the site a while ago, uh, about the satanic black limousine which preys on the unsuspecting and unroadworthy in the deserts of um, New Mexico. James Brolin stars as the sheriff who has to track this thing down and destroy it. Brilliant, brilliant movie and a fabulous uh, transfer as well. This is a Region 2 disc. It's nice and cheap. There's nothing in the way of extras, but it, I recommend it wholeheartedly. A great, great movie. Um, a fabulous transfer. And the other one which I want to, I'd love to mention again is uh, the 1970s movie, The Jaws on Land, basically. It's grisly. Not a lot of people actually love this movie, but I do. I think it's fantastic. I raved about this in a, in a, in a rather comprehensive review a short while ago. And this is a Region 1 disc. It's a collector's edition. It has, it's a double disc affair and it has numerous extras on it. A comedy track, a few makings of, a retrospective. Brilliant, brilliant transfer again. I'm quite impressed at how, how good some of these films turned out. Really vibrant colours, very sharp image. Brilliant and I totally recommend it. That would be my brief overview of the, the, the vintage and older movie section of the year. And I think now I'd like to pass on to somebody else and see what they thought of it, a lot of the releases so far this year. Well, unlike Chris, I, am, uh, I haven't been looking so much at the vintage, um, unless you can call uh, late 60s, early 70s vintage. Um, but one of my picks of the year was um, way, way back in January, actually, Sam Peckinpah's legendary Westerns collection, which contains four um, digitally remastered of his finest, finest films. Um, so the first time on DVD, actually, was his first one, Ride the High Country. 
um, a classic film that's, uh, that I was waiting to come out on DVD for many, many years. And I'm so glad that it's now come out. There's, no, there's not much on the disc. Uh, mono sound, but it's been gloriously reproduced, and it's a fantastic film. It's one of my most favourite of Peckinbar films. His first, it's before he went into all the violence and the blood and splatter that he becomes so famous for later in his films. Um, but if you really want to see Peckinbar at his best, that's probably the one I would go for. Um, next up we have the cable of, of uh, the Ballad of Cable Hogue, um, more of a comedy uh, film this one, again it's um, remastered um, mono sound with a, with a nice few extras, um, feels almost like a bit of, a bit of an add-on this one, um, but uh, I, I particularly like it, um, again it's got full of the um, Peckinpah themes, um, the, the, the old boys being wiped out by the by the new world in uh, quite a quite a dramatic fashion actually the end of this one well if you know the film the uh, cable actually himself gets run over by a, uh, a car so uh, no metaphor there then we come to uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid quite a stark film this one um, two disc special edition gloriously remastered again beautiful picture wonderful sounds a bucket load of extras that you can really get your teeth into. Um, some people don't really like this film, saying it's really rather stark and um, bare, almost, bare bones, um, in, in the way the film looks, not the disc, of course. Um, it's very bleak, very bleached. You need to, need to make your own mind up on that one. I'm, I'm, I'm in two minds about it. Sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't. Then, of course, we come to The Wild Bunch. Um, Peckinpah's, perhaps Peckinpah's most famous film, uh, certainly his most famous western if you exclude um, things like Straw Dogs. It is a classic, classic film, one of my most all-time favourite films and it has been, I think this was reviewed on the site by Chris actually, this particular disc, although not in the set that I'm promoting here. Uh, it's a two-disc edition, glorious, glorious picture. If anyone had the old Warner Brothers flipper disc, you know how rubbish that was, it was a terrible picture. Sam was so-so, it was just not, not, a good, not a good disc at all, and uh, it came at just the right time, this disc. Gloriously reproduced, anamorphic transfer now, 5.1 sound, should have had the mono as well, really. Again, a bucket load of extras, commentaries, a second disc with three documentaries on it, it's a glorious, glorious disc. The set alone is worth the Wild Bunch. So that will be my pick for the year so far. Okay, so we've had Simon's view, so let's move over to Seth Geckle. I actually thought um, 2006 was one of those years where we got constant um, double dips um, coming out. Um, it sounds really sad, but there's been something like Brokeback Mountain came out originally, that's about to come out again as a special edition, Chronicles of Narnia, Crash... Wedding Singer, Event Horizon came out again, Mission Impossible's all got remastered, Wedding Singer, Wind Talkers, Patriot, it just seemed really heavily on remastered special editions, you know, let's really promote you know the, the double dip side of things, to the point where I actually have to be honest, I thought it was a really abysmal year for DVDs and movies as a whole, it just seemed to be too much rehashed too much of the same old, same old. But on on the other side of the coin, um, a very good year for uh, TV shows on DVD. We're, with things like uh, 24, uh, Lois and Clark came, uh, came out. There was The Night Stalker. There was a lot of good TV shows. Uh, and then there was Joey, 
which we won't bother with. But it it, it does seem to drive home a, a huge point if you if you look at um, a lot of the shows that were coming out on DVD um, from Battlestar Galactica, the, the 4400 Deadwood. There's a lot of very exciting um, stuff being brought out there, and and the studios are recognising this by bringing out these discs really quite quickly in comparison to how they used to. A case in point, I suppose, for for 2006 was um, La Femme Nikita, which took an absolute age to get a couple of seasons out, and then all of a sudden it was like three, four, five, the last three seasons all came out within the space of about 12 months. So um, I think the studios are really beginning to pay attention to the fact that we want TV shows, we want you know, complete series, we want the best treatment we can with uh, some extras, and we want them now. So moving back to Chris, Chris, um, what new movies this year that have hit DVD have really impressed you then? Uh, well, there's probably quite a few, but I think leaping out at me right now, I'd say that the remake of Hills of Eyes was was it was a great release, a good transfer of um, a fairly explicit and nice reworking of an absolute classic movie, horror movie in my opinion, from Wes Craven's original. Um, I, I did like it. It's very atmospheric. It's um, very nasty, and it's a it's a it's a good disc as well. Other movies that came out, uh, I would have to say. Although I like Superman Returns, and it's certainly got a, a nice place on my shelf next to all my other Superman and superhero movies, it, I'm, like, I'm quite pleased to have it, but it's not a very good disc. The documentary, as I, as I stated earlier, is, um, goes on for far too long, and is not as, as, well, not as user-friendly as I'd, I'd have liked. And the transfer, even for the standard disc, is, uh, is not very good. Uh, having watched it again only recently, it's... Yeah, it's it's far too soft, but you know it's it was a a nice big release to come out this year. Um, another release, which sadly is well, it's not really a double dip because it's the extended cut. Would of course be King Kong, the extended cut, which, uh, as everyone knows, I'm a quite a big fan of the movie, and um, I, I love the extended cut of the movie as well. And there's certainly there's more stuff on on that disc on on that collection of discs than you can shake a stick at, and it is absolutely wonderful. That's the kind of thing I would never get tired of, and I really couldn't wait to get older that myself, and it's, I totally recommend it. Everything you could want from King Kong, and that release of King Kong is definitely there, and it's well worth it. Um, other movies? It's not a new film, but it's... and it, Yes, I'm afraid you'd be double, triple, quadruple dipping, perhaps, if you pick this one up, but it's The Omen, the original Richard Donner, 1976 version, um, came out on Region 1 as a collector's edition. It's since been released in, in Region 2, um, I think I think alongside the other movies in another repackaged deal, but I've only got the Region One um, American disc, and it is absolutely fantastic. The restoration job on that is absolutely superlative. Uh, the 5.1 surround is is nice. It's not in your face. It's not completely. Hey, look, I I can use the rear surrounds for, for once in a 1970s movie. It's not like totally overt, but it's it's nice and atmospheric. The transfer is brilliant. The film is brilliant. Um, stand by for what will possibly be one of my biggest written reviews on the site because it's coming up very soon. And the extras are brilliant as well. You've got two comedy tracks. You've got um, some whopping big uh, making ofs and uh, a nice little chat with Jerry Goldsmith about the fantastic score which you released for that. And it's it's just an, an overall brilliant, brilliant film and a fantastic release which I heartily recommend. So we'll move from Chris back over to Simon. And um, what else has impressed you this year, Simon? Well, I, I just want to have a, a quick 
um, mention a few uh, TV releases, as uh, Seth was saying just now. Um, a quick mention to Without a Trace, which um, languished uh, for... We, we got uh, season one about two years ago, um, and then we had to wait a full 12 months before anything was seen or heard of anything else. In fact, the, both these releases, season two and season three, were released this year, region two. We're still waiting for the region one to come out, in fact. Um, of, of all my uh, Jerry Brockheimer series that are out, um, I think Without a Trace is my, my favourite. They're pretty bare-bones discs, actually, but just to have the series is is terrific. Of course, talking about Brockheimer, we've got the CSI season six. Uh, the original Vegas has just been released about a week or so ago. Um, mine's winging my way um, from uh, from the States as we speak. I'm, I was hoping to receive it before Christmas, but as always, post and uh, sellings, <laughs> you know, they, they never get here when you want them to get here. This is this is um, Vegas, the original Robert Urich one, yeah? yeah? What? No, 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 CSI Vegas. Oh, CSI Vegas. oh for what? a second I got my hopes up there. Classic <laughs> CSI. I think oh, dearie me. <laughs> and of course, finally, I think we have to mention the Doctor Who releases. Not the new series, which I think um, <laughs> most people like, um, or certainly the younger generation, but uh, I'm, I'm talking about the original releases. There has been three uh, specific releases that, are, that I'd like to mention. Genesis of the Daleks being one. Tom Baker's probably the best uh, Doctor Who story of all time. Um, you've got the beginning box set, which um, has got uh, four episodes on it. Um, three named stories. Um, and, a, and a sort of a, a montage of the fourth story, which no longer exists. Um, a fantastic set and well worth picking up if you want to see um, Bill Hartnell at, at his best. And then, of course, you've got The Invasion, um, which is a Pat Troughton story um, with two, an eight-episode story with two episodes missing completely that have been reanimated um, using a sort of a, a, a almost cartoony-type um, animation with... Um, the, using the original soundtrack and telecine photos that uh, were, were taken at the time of its broadcast. Um, a terrific release, that one, and it's a, it's a great, great story. Yeah, I've, I've got to agree with that. The Doctor Who releases this year have been really, really good. They are, they're, they're working very hard to restore these episodes, and uh, they're pulling out some great discs. There's even a few budget ones around now, isn't it? The Sontaran mm. Experiment, which is just a, a two, it's a one-disc affair, isn't it? Two episodes. Two episodes, but yes. it's, yeah, yeah. But it's a, a budget price and, and well worth picking up. Um, and of course, if we're going to talk about Doctor Who, I, sadly, I am one of the fans of the, uh, the the new series. I say sadly because I, well, I think not, David. I, 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 think, I like it, but well, I think David Tennant's magnificent. But, I, I do too, actually. But I think that Russell Davis's writing is uh, totally abysmal, and the and basically, although it's not been released on disc yet, but I think you can sum up the whole Doctor Who, the new Doctor Who phenomenon in The Runaway Bride, which, which I don't know if anyone saw it the other night, but uh, there you have... Scars. Where's a, it on? Oh, have I yeah. missed it? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you it was it. an interesting idea. Some great visual imagery taking place in there. What I particularly loved was the, uh, the TARDIS racing down the motorway, dodging in between cars. You're not going to spoil it for me, are you? No, no. no well, <laughs> mm, I don't know. Maybe I am. Because basically... it. it Great visual, great visuals, um, great ideas, but very ham-fistedly thrown up on the screen. Um, you had a great monster as well, who sadly, although looking fantastic and very menacing and very frightening, basically does absolutely nothing apart from skitter around on its CGI legs and, and look intimidating when the people who are its main threat are just in front of it, 
if it wanted to, it could quite happily kill them. And, you know, this seems to represent the whole new version of Doctor Who. You have great enemies, great threat, but it's hardly ever utilised as it would be realistically. I know that sounds a bit bizarre. It's only a fantasy. It's, it's aimed at kids. Or is it aimed at kids? There's a lot of things in there which kids aren't going to understand. A lot of jokes sort of go over their heads. Um, they languish in the air, the visuals, yeah, but they don't understand or appreciate a lot of the the witticisms that they try to sneak into the screenplays. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you want to love it more than you actually do, you know? I don't know. <laughs> okay, then, so, so we're running out of time very quickly here, so we'll move on to Seth. Um, Seth, what, what's impressed you this year? And before you answer that, um, what we'll do at the end is we'll, we'll just do a quick recap at the end. So, Seth, you want to tell us quickly um, what you've enjoyed this year? I was going to say what's impressed me, the fact that Chris can talk so long without drawing breath. Um, <laughs> <sighs> like I said, mostly the the, the, the TV shows, I, yes, I'll agree with Simon, Without Trace is a superb show. Um, everyone thinks of it as a, a CSI knockoff, but it's so not. The Doctor Who releases, the original stuff is good. The new series is clearly not. <laughs> Movie-wise, my movie of the year, V for Vendetta, um, it basically puts the Wachowskis back where they should have been um, after the first Matrix. It, it's just, it just works on so many levels. On the other side of the coin, like I say, there's been a few uh, uh, turkeys out there, and this is the bit where um, Chris just wants to you know, nail, me, nail me to a cross. Um, King Kong just didn't work Stop for me. Stop right now. All. See? Um, it just seemed like a huge um, ego massage, um, and we could have done well without it. Okay, so thanks for that, Seth. So very quickly, we're running out of time um, and we could probably sit here all night and discuss the highs and lows of 2006 on DVD or at the cinema. Uh, so let's finish off with just saying which film has really done it for you this year, either at the cinema or on DVD. And we'll start with Chris. And remember, Chris, we're running out of time here. <laughs> uh, quite simply, the, the film that's done it for me this year isn't on disc yet. Uh, it's Casino Royale. It totally blew me away. It was far better than I ever expected. I loved every minute of it. I've seen it several times and spent a fortune on merchandise. And it t it came in quite nicely with like a, a huge rash of the re-releases of James Bond. So and I love the whole phenomena around Bond. That's great. That's got me really happy this year. The worst point of the year for me, though, would be Pirates of Caribbean 2. Well-stocked disc, lousy movie. So there's my highs and lows of the year. Simon? Uh, highs for me would be the uh, three-disc Seven Samurai Criterion re-release, um, one of the best films ever made, Akira Kurosawa at his best, and a spectacular digitally remastered film. Fantastic. Lows would have to be the remake of The Pink Panther, I think. And Seth, try and be positive. Mm, God. <laughs> v for Vendetta, you just said it. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm sticking with my V for Vendetta. I can't even think of anything that bests it at the cinema. Um... And we'll wait I, for the I, negative lists, which will be an armful. The negative list, anything that Chris likes. Um, oh! <laughs> <laughs> just oh. to get a rise out of him. Um, the crikey. Um, I have to... Yeah, Pink Panther was was painful. Um, excruciatingly, excruciatingly bad. But basically, I think that there's that there are a lot of American um, remakes that uh, follow uh, into things like that, such as... Um, uh, the Grudge 2, 
um, polls, and I'm going to be really controversial to a point and, and sort of say The Devil Wears Prada. I didn't have a problem with the movie, I just didn't understand what the hell it was supposed to be about. Okay then, so that's our roundup of 2006, and I'll just jump in, in here and say that um, for me, 2006 has been a great year on the podcast, and one of the things I always look forward to every week now is our little get-togethers like this. So thank you very much, lads, and a happy new year to all of you. And to you, thank Cheers. you. Cheers, and to you and everybody else. Oh, I'm trying to say something positive now. No, no, we don't expect it from you. No, we'll, <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. So We wouldn't <laughs> we wouldn't believe it if you did say it. No, the sincerity. Should I, should I, should I try? Yeah, happy new year. Okay, so there we go, folks. Um, we hope we've enjoyed our... Uh, our chats over the year. We've got more coming in 2007, and that's been our roundup of 2006. For the biggest and best DVD and HD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. Jason Bradbury. As many of you will know, each week on the AV podcast, uh, I like to give you a little personal message. Um, it's not quite as grand as the Queen's Christmas message, but you, you kind of get the idea. Um, obviously, I've not been filming the gadget show for the past month or so. Um, and obviously, I'm, I'm quite pleased to leave the world of technology to one side for at least four or five weeks. Otherwise, I think I'd go insane. But nevertheless, this is perhaps a great opportunity for me to look back at some of the most seminal gadgets from my techno year. Obviously, the arrival of high definition affected my life as much as it affected most of you listening to this. My first TV was uh, given to me care of Samsung. And I have to say... Um, my little 26-inch computer monitor, because that's what I use it for now, has revolutionised my office. I still can't get over the fact that you can pick these things up for less than 600 quid. I've got it all plugged in for gaming mode. I've got my Xbox in it. My Nintendo Wii's plugged in via uh, several... Uh, well, they, they call them the high-definition leads, but I think it's only 480i, although I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, the point being that... I've now got something to play the high-definition content that I'd been uh, storing away in the lead-up to the launch of HD in the UK this year. And certainly for me, it hasn't disappointed. Still under the HD banner, I was lucky enough to be one of the beta testers of Telewest's TV Drive HD service. And again, uh, I was extremely excited by it. I was particularly impressed with the fact that this relatively small cable provider in European terms happened to get the jump on Sky, who've been in the business of, of football and sports programming for years longer than uh, Telly West, um, and put themselves in a position to be the only broadcaster in the UK able to offer every single one of the World Cup matches in high definition. And uh, I certainly watched all of the England matches in HD, uh, and plenty more besides. For me, sitting there in the summer of 2006, with my new HD service, my new HD TV, watching the World Cup, was, I think, something akin to the experience of those people who bought their first TV to watch the Queen's Coronation. It was a magical experience. Another piece of technology that has really impressed me this year is Slingbox. I first got sent a Slingbox by their PR, and I, to be honest, it stayed in the box for about two weeks because I kind of couldn't work out what it was. Um, I guess in a way I didn't believe that it could do what it said on the box, but as many of you who've got a Slingbox, or at least uh, read the reviews about them, will know, uh, it does deliver. And interestingly, about a month before Christmas, I got a phone from Three, in fact I talked about the experience on this podcast, which enables me to dial in to my Slingbox 
and control my TV, including some of the pre-recorded content uh, while on the go. And that, that really is amazing. I mean, it's still as stuttery as most mobile phone television content is and it reacts badly uh, if I'm on the move or in a low signal area but nevertheless um, in terms of uh, you know a signpost for a, a, te a technology that could be really really big in the next couple of years I think Slimbox is a great success and of course I couldn't look back at 2006 without mentioning the Nintendo Wii um, anyone who watches my show The Gadget Show and saw my uh, my very genuine surprise when they pulled a Nintendo Wii out of the bag without telling me that they'd done so, uh, having got a special dispensation from the CEO in Japan, uh, you'll know that I'm a big, big fan. I mean, I've always liked Nintendo's consoles, um, but I think this is particularly special. I like it as well because there's a kind of underdog narrative about the Wii. You know, the Xbox 360 is a composite machine and it, it has a, uh, a deserved dominance in the marketplace. But of course, not even the mighty Xbox can compete with uh, PlayStation 2's grasp of the marketplace. It's just in a league of its own. And what I think is really interesting is that, um, you know, almost out of the blue, we're finding ourselves now in one of those sort of historical situations where gaming could change completely. Um, the launch of the PS3 in March is going to be seminal for Sony. Most people, again, listening to this will know the story, so I don't need to go into the details, but we really could see, uh, if not the end of the Sony Corporation, uh, but um, a genuine switch around in terms of the gaming console league tab table. And I think that's amazing, especially considering how relatively underpowered the Wii is. 2007 is going to be about those three consoles and I don't doubt that in 12 months time when we're doing this same retrospective view of 2007 um, I don't doubt that we're going to mention that battle and perhaps talk about an overall winner Join the discussion at Europe's largest home cinema website Log in to avforums.com With more gadgets than QBranch The name is Bob this is the AV Podcast. The AV Podcast Gaming News with Ian Collin and Seth Gecko. Hi, this is Ian Collin from 360 Gamer. Just to let you know early on, we're not going to be having any games, news or reviews in this particular podcast. Instead, we're going to give you a full review of 2006, which is the traditional thing to do at this time of the year. So um, we're going to take a look back at all the best hardware and software of the past 12 months. And... Um, yeah, maybe give you a little bit of uh, area for debate amongst yourselves. First of all, the thing that I should possibly do to, to all involved is uh, apologise in advance if I sound slightly biased towards the Xbox 360, simply because that's what I work with, so I might kind of swing a little bit that way. <laughs> I've got that on my left, PlayStation on my right, and I swing towards the 360. Yeah. <laughs> that's fine with me, he says. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you if you really think about it, I, I suppose 2006 probably was a one-console race um, for the most part. Yeah, it was. I mean, obviously up until uh, we came out a month or so back. But yeah, I mean, if you think it really has been the year of the Xbox 360, not just from my point of view, um, but also because it's kicked off the next generation of games consoles, um, which is something that's kind of been enthused about for the last couple of years, and now we've finally seen it in operation and for most people it has been a very very impressive piece of work um, you know the quality of the the graphics the visual quality the effects the detail and everything that you could throw into games now 
if you think about um, you know 18 months ago and seeing the kind of level of uh, quality we're seeing now you'd hardly have imagined that these kind of things would be possible using the technology that was available. Yeah I'll probably agree with you in terms of um, the graphic capabilities they are uh, considering considerably better um, than the Xbox PS2 and the GameCube as well um, but I, I personally don't think that games have evolved that much I think it's pretty much um, the same old, same old, with fancier graphics and better soundtracks. They haven't really progressed at this stage. Yeah, in terms of, of game content, I think that's, that's always going to be pretty constant. I think what the new technology has obviously done is enabled programmers and developers to just be able to, to open the story up a lot more. I mean, now you're seeing cutscenes and things like that that go into much greater detail, maybe builds up more of a story, gives them more scope to kind of play around with the theme of the game um, a little bit more you know basic content in terms of gameplay there's only a certain amount that you could do on a new console unless you go like the the Wii has done and bring in you know new remotes new whole new ways of playing a game but yeah I mean I'm just just liking the way now that there seems to be a lot some of them have still been a bit rubbish very linear in terms of what you can do but there does seem to be a lot more options I think around now I mean in particular um, obviously Xbox Live is the thing that's really kicked in. Multiplayer is always good scope for it on the PC, but now I've got it on the console big time with the Xbox 360. And um, obviously, when the PS3 comes along, whenever, um, you should be seeing that a, a bit more of that as well, which I think is uh, actually a, a key thing of the past 12 months. Yeah, I mean, Xbox Live was originally on the Xbox anyway. I mean, don't forget that the Xbox did have a built in network card. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it has been kicking around for quite a while. I just don't think it's been sort of so well received by the gaming community in comparison you know when the Xbox came out the PS2 was there um, and the GameCube which I've already mentioned and it was very much sort of single player emphasis um, or the typical you know have the lads around for a few beers you know nachos and uh, and a game on something uh, yeah. but you know, now it's much more Worldly, I think, is probably the, you know, the the best way to word it. You you, yeah. know, you don't have to to sort of have you know you so you you can be effectively Billy No Mates, I suppose. Um, yeah. But you can always find someone somewhere on the globe to to you know punch the living daylights out of, or kick their head off, or shoot them in the head, or whatever it is that uh, floats your boat. Yeah, it's almost a necessity now. That's what I was thinking in terms of um, the programmers. They have to put all this content into games now. It's expected. You have to have. Um, you know, a huge multiplayer element for a game to be considered to be a not a complete success. That probably sounds a bit harsh to some of the good single-player games that there have been. But in terms of, uh, like you're saying, global appeal, uh, multiplayer has become a, a very, very big deal, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree. So, uh, he says, moving on slightly from that tangent, uh, you know, the games of the year, what, what kind of sticks in your mind from you know, over 2006? Uh, well, I mean, me personally, I, I can only be fairly vague because I tend my favourite games tend to change from week to week. It tends to be pretty much what I'm playing at the time is my favourite game just because I can get involved in it. It's like this is ace, I want to finish it, I've got to finish it. But then it's it's the replay value of games that I think that probably maybe swings things around for you, makes you pick out the games of the year, I think. I mean the one that's it's won awards, um, Ghost Recon, Advanced Warfighter, for me maybe not the game of the year, but in terms, it was huge online, so in terms of that replay value, um, that's got to be amongst there as one of the, maybe not the best, but definitely one of the biggest titles of the year. Similarly, 
you've got Gears of War, best looking game that I've possibly ever seen um, visually. Limited single player wise, it's you know it's still fairly constrictive, not quite as open as you'd hope. Um, like I mentioned earlier about how far you can open up uh, an Xbox 360 game or just any games in general now, it was fairly restricted in that way. But multiplayer, it's, again, it's just been massive. It's the game now that a lot of people are just, they're going to go home, they're already telling their mates, oh, I'm going to go online at 8 o'clock, let's get some Gears of War and shoot the bits hell. out of each other. <laughs> the word you're looking for is hell. <laughs> yes, oh yeah, that's the one, that's the polite phrase. I mean, obviously then you've got the Pro Evos and stuff like that, which are also equally very, very online friendly. But yeah, but one for me in terms of single player that I've really liked has been Dead Rising. Uh, when I first started playing it, I didn't think it was great. There was one or two things that kind of annoyed me slightly about it, just in terms of how um, the various missions or the, the tasks were set out and the lack of decent save opportunities and things like that. But then once you get into it and you can just skip the story stage, I'm going back to it, playing it a lot more now. Simply, you know, ignore the story. You don't even need to follow that, you know. You can just walk through um, this shopping mall, killing zombies with pretty much any piece of the furniture that you could find. So, I mean, in terms of replay value, that one's probably had me playing it the most of the past 12 months. I don't know, what have you been playing? Um, oh, cracky, on 360, um, definitely not uh, Ghost Recon. Um, yeah, enough said on that one, particularly rate that game. Uh, uh, Gears of War I didn't mind, I didn't mind Gears of War. I, I, I did think that it held your hand far, far too much. Um, compared to sort of you know the quakes and the dooms and all the, the sort of the PC games that are out there um, of a of the similar genre, um, I suppose of all things, Fight Night Three. Yeah, um, I really really liked on the 360. Um, I, I've been a fan of the the games on the PS2 uh, before that, uh, and there's something brutally satisfying um, about basically fisticuffs. Um, and with the Wii, uh, as well with the the Wii Sports Boxing, which tends to be the one that I play the most as well, funnily enough. Um, I don't know what that says about me. Played that a hell of a lot. I really quite liked uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance as well. And that's quite a good party game, I suppose. Um, if you get four people in, each can take a superhero and go around bash up uh, villains. It's not particularly astounding. It's not particularly, um, you know, in-depth it's not revolutionary in any shape, size, or form, but what it acts up there, it makes up for it being bloody good fun. Um, yeah. So I, I really dug that as well. So yeah, I, I'm sort of straying away from a lot of the, the sort of it sounds strange, but a lot of the big popular titles. Like I said, I didn't mind Gears of War. Um, I, it, it, technology-wise, it does look very lush, but yeah, it, it's just far too wants to hold your hand along the way and yeah. Okay, so the other console then that we really need to, to be finishing on is uh, the all-new Nintendo Wii. Um, I haven't had a chance to play one yet. Um, I, well, I've had a, like a few demos and stuff like that, I, but I haven't had a chance to actually sit down and spend a couple of hours just trying out throwing remotes across the room, as some people seem to have been doing in the past. I don't know, have you had a chance to get a bit hands-on with the Nintendo I, Wii? Uh, yep, I actually do have one. Uh, as as uh, lucky as I am, I suppose. Um, I didn't eBay it, so perhaps I should have. Perhaps I should have put it on eBay when I got it. Uh, that no, that, I'm only kidding, people. I would never do such a callous thing. I'll wait for the PlayStation 3 to make much more money. Um, 
it, it's great fun. It really is um, a, a huge amount of laughs. Um, obviously, you know, for your £180 or, or more if you're going to pay more, you get, you know, the console, you get your nunchuck, your, your Wiimote, and uh, it's something that Jonathan Ross can get away with saying, isn't it, a Wiimote? <laughs> um, sorry. And um, you, you know you get Wii Sports, which is the the five sport games, and it's really really entertaining. Um, and as I sort of you know would stress, it's it's got this kind of uh, universal appeal. Um, it, it's appealing to people that wouldn't normally pick up a game. Um, it's very bizarre. Um, I've even seen it with sort of friends. You know, people going, oh, I'm not going to play on a silly bloody computer thing. And then you go, no, 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 have a go at the bowling. And they come along and, you know, an hour or two later, they they really want one. You know, or yeah. they're, they're really happy that they've, you know, um, picked it up and uh, had a good old game. And it is, it is kind of really strange to watch this kind of um, shift in, in attitude. Um... But yeah, it's uh, a superb little console. Um, I haven't played any GameCube games on it, funnily enough. Even though I have got loads of GameCube games, I haven't actually um, tried that angle out. Um, of the games that I have got uh, with it, everyone's got Zelda, so um, that really needs no introduction. It doesn't really need a huge amount to be said, except obviously, you know, Nintendo had to bring out a huge game um, on the release date. And if you're not going to bring out Mario, bring out the next big gun, which is Zelda. Um, and I think, you know, for most people, it's probably surpassed their expectations. It's a little bit different from what we've seen before with uh, the Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, but uh, it's, it's effectively more of the same um, kind of game. It's, it's good fun. And again, it, it wouldn't surprise me if that's like the number one game for Christmas because of the Wii. Um, and the other game I got which I've already mentioned that I had on the, uh, liked on the 360 was Marvel Ultimate Alliance which is pretty much more of the same with a bit more uh, innovation behind the control mechanism you can use the buttons as you do on the Xbox 360 or if you want to you can use the Wiimote to uh, punch, kick, blast, lob shields and um, use your spider webs and things like that uh, against the opponents so it's, it's, again it's good fun and again you can have four people playing so have you got on with the the remote? You haven't broken it. You haven't. You're not tiring yourself out. It's not hard work or anything. <laughs> I haven't been so stupid as to let go of it. No. Um, sorry, it really sounds condescending, and it is. You know, I can't understand how people are sort of you know sort of forgetting themselves and letting go of it when you're doing the bowling. It's the last thing you would sort of do. Um, I have not really had any problems. It's not. Um, had any problems on the handshaking um, it hasn't been flung across the, the, the room the battery life seems to be okay so far um, and I think the nearest I've got was uh, a 30 minute session of boxing which I, it was a, a fair few rounds shall we say and uh, yeah I felt that the next morning in my right shoulder so uh, it, it's all good fun I think that yeah from, from what I've seen the whole launch went smoothly as promised um, which is um, well, un unusual. unlike other uh, unlike other uh, launches that could have happened this year but didn't. Yeah, well, that's the thing. That's what's maybe probably made this review uh, a little bit shorter than it could have been because we're obviously a console short. Uh, but we'll we'll look forward to that next year and maybe. Uh, reserve judgment until we see it. Which, from from what I've seen, it you know it does look good. It'll just be nice to to finally see it. 
But um, but you consider the Wii to be a big success. It certainly looked good from where from my position, but from a gamer, from someone who's got uh, a Nintendo Wii. Yeah, from from the perspective of I have a Nintendo Wii. Um, you know, it can't be bad news. You know, uh, biggest Europe um, launch for Nintendo was it three hundred and fifty thousand before Christmas was uh, was sold. Um, yeah. Even the, if you think about it, I mean, the one thing that you've got to remember, and this speaks volumes in my mind, you've had all the people who are complaining about, you know, um, oh, I threw the remote control, you know, the remote across the room, oh, you know, we were playing boxing, I punched the, the other half in the eye, you know, all these accidents, and not one person has said anything bad about it. It's, it's all very much kind of, yeah, I punched so and so in the eye, but yeah, it's a good laugh, you know, we had a laugh about it, you know, it's it's that kind of fun aspect and I think that's uh, something that's been missing you know in recent games congratulations Nintendo a fine fine console indeed alright then so to summarize across all the consoles all the games you've played what would you consider to be your game of the year if it has to be a game I played the most then it would have to be Guild Wars Nightfall but hot on its heels I have to say Wii Sports it's just too much damn fun Okay, on a similar level then, this is just getting two games in slightly. Um, the game I've played the most would be Football Manager 2006, because it's on a 360 now, I can still be working on the PC and have sort of a few games going on in the background at the same time. But um, the game I've probably had the most fun from would be Dead Rising, just simply because it's got so many good ideas, there's so much fun that you can have within it, that you can just keep playing it until you've killed everything in sight and then just go back and do it all over again. So in terms of pure honest fun, Dead Rising would be my favourite. Um, but if anybody out there disagrees, by all means, go on to the podcast site on avforums.com and put your own views on there of the best games of 2006 and we look forward to hearing them. Okay, so that's it for 2006. Hope you've had a good gaming year. Um, we'll be back for the next gaming podcast on the 10th of January, but until then, I've been Ian Collin. And I've been Seth Gecko. And we wish you all a very happy new year. You're listening to the AV Podcast. Oh, worth it. Totally worth it. Now I have no idea what the next feature is. And to be quite honest, I'm a little apprehensive at what Phil, our audio editor, has managed to pick up from the cutting room floor. But we proudly introduce the AV Podcast blooper reel for 2006. At least I think we do. The AV Podcast Special Feature. Thank you, Jason. Well, if you didn't know, I'm the guy that puts the podcast together, which means hours and literally hours of editing. And over the last nine months, I've been keeping a secret stash of all the bloopers. Now, when it comes to podcasts or radio programmes in general... Getting the right impression at the start is a must if you're to come across as being professional in what you do. Unfortunately, we didn't get it quite right here. Okay. Welcome to Halloween. Welcome to the Hardware AV Podcast for the 22nd of November. Welcome to the Hardware AV Pod. What am I going on with me? (laughs) Hang on. We take an early look at X Men 3 on the new Star Wars original trip. I'm going to do the opening again before I do my busky bit because I want to make sure I said the right thing. So Chris, retro fresh, retro fest. <laughs> That's a good start. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the bloopers are going to start early. Yeah. Hi, this is Ian Collin from 360 Gamer. <laughs> That'll be my mum just telling me what the f*** am I doing recording this late in the day. Hang on a second. <laughs>
Hello. Yep. Yep. It's pretty bad when your mum phones Phil. Yeah, I know. She's like that. Okay, we'll just have to redo that again. <laughs> My mum phoning Phil. <laughs> There's questions to be asked. Isn't really in the same computing league as Xbox 360. Damn. Bollocks. Bollocks. Hello? Hello, babe. Can I just ring you back in one minute? So when things go wrong right at the start, you know exactly where that feature's heading. I mean, take our interviews, for example. These are usually with industry insiders over the phone, and if you don't make the right impression straight away, things can get rather awkward. And also, when you're busy recording, the last thing you want is to have any interruptions from the outside, just like the last clips with the phone calls. Unfortunately, there's nothing you can do about planes or trains. Richard, welcome and thanks for joining us. Hello. Uh, this is then followed up by Entertainment and Video, who adopted a straight-ahead, no-check-disc... Oh, hold on, train going past. And on it goes. Sorry, can you hear the train on this or not? Yeah, I can hear that. Just uh, yeah. No, I'll just wait a second. Yeah. It's quite a long train. Oh yeah, they love running them. I think they finally shut up at about midnight. Oh, it would be a really long one while I'm on the phone doing this. <laughs> Don't worry about it. You must get used to that. Yeah, um, especially, you know, it's okay when I'm cranking up the home cinema and stuff. I don't notice it at all. I just think there's a little bit more bass rumble going through the floor. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it kind of just drowns out after a while. And with Sony being a... There's a big aircraft going over. Okay, so maybe we exaggerated a little with Jason's planes. However, Jason happens to live in the flight path for Heathrow, and usually our recording sessions are interrupted on at least a five-minute basis. So what's the job of a sound editor? Well, basically my job is to make sure that the M's and the R's and the R's are taken out and to make our presenters appear more natural and um, intelligent. Unfortunately for them, I managed to keep all the M's, R's and so on. And this is your chance to hear them all. And some really and some really and some really innovative and physical uses of uh, you know, some you know, um and uh for them no stop users are um um the <laughs> well, um and they they are uh, oh God! What their name? Sorry. So, um, and uh, just trying to think what else there was. Um, and um, but uh, but yeah, no, uh, yeah. And uh, um, the uh, 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 you know, yeah. But like I say, once they've got you know, uh, uh, it, it, it's you know, one of those. It's, it's down to you know. And um, in teddy bear. Um, real-time breakdancing moves. Um, I'm probably saying that wrong, I don't know. Um, the idea of it just sounds a little bit sickening. I bet it does, actually. Okay. Oh, actually, well, in a... Um, 
I was just thinking. Uh, well, I, 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 yeah. But it, 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 yeah, it might be okay. And um, yeah, you're right. Is that it? Is that it? What? Now, regular listeners to the AV podcast will know that the presentation style has changed quite a bit in the last nine months. We've gone from scripted approach to more natural wing it and hope we say something sensible approach. The only area of the podcast that's still scripted is the AV news, and it's a very difficult area to get your tongue round. As you can hear now as Jason struggles with product names and specifications. This device is the MCP 9480i. Use FM wireless users. Obviously, if I wasn't so thick, I would have seen that. They'll come in 40-inch or 46-inch R2000 SR... Amplifiers, drive speakers. Okay, marvellous, marvellous. Sharp has also announced the release of a twin tune. Susie and I were both tasked. A set... A set-up model. A step-up... <laughs> What's also unusual about the 103 is the options to add a record deck. Record deck, you fart. We have announcements from projects... De- Projection design. We remote and nunchuck, which will allow plowers... Plowers? The Intelli... Intellix. And the image quality on a 12-foot 2x35 by... What's that? The reason, a lack of blue diodes for the labourers. Tony Blair's been... There's a shortage of labour. Anchor bees. Anchor bays motion adaptive deinterlacing. It's worth adding, too, that all four of these receivers boost two new... Boast. The best of a screen is specific... This beast of a screen. In other news this week, there's a new consumer electronics brand. Each Draftmaster, and just in case I'm really thick and it's not Draftmaster, it's Droughtmaster, but I don't think it is. It's got to be Draft. I know you must think I'm thick, Mr. Editor. It's got to be Draft. Which, as usual, is just about as electric a treat. Eclectic. Quick slip of tea. What's going on with my tongue? Tongue. I can't even say tongue properly. And finally, the other game that I'm, uh, I guess I'm, I'm pretty crazy about at the moment is... I can't remember what it's bloody called. Let's just make sure I get it right, because it would be embarrassing if I got it wrong. Which includes two HDD... <laughs> Ooh. While Paramount has finally unleashed its first batch... <laughs> <laughs> Couple these aggravations with continuing... <laughs> then you'll no doubt be thrilled to hear that Sony are really... <laughs> and the iPod is controlled using these systems... That any display device, oh, oh, now available in the UK. For this week's news in the projectors, over AV forums. As you can hear, poor Jason really does struggle with the script at times. But I don't want you to think that it's his fault all the time. You really should try and read one of our scripts. But I don't want you to think that I'm unnecessarily taking the Michael. Because even though the unscripted parts are very well edited in the end, we do have the odd confession. Now, this one was made very recently in our roundup of 2006. The man responsible was Simon Crust. I want you to listen very carefully. So let's move on to Simon. Simon, any vintage DVDs which have, have pricked up your... Uh, sorry. <laughs> no, there's, there's no point in asking me that, Bill. Um, I mean, I can talk a little bit about the Criterion 3-disc Samurai, 7 Samurai, but that's not okay. really vintage, it's more classic. Okay, okay, I'll go that way. Can you just move the mic away, mic away from your mouth a little bit? Yep, 1, 2, 3, 4, Criterion, yep. 7 Samurai, 3-disc. Yep, that, that's it, thank you. <clears throat> okay. I haven't got it, by the way. I just... 
Oh, nice one. It's just a great release, isn't it? I put the bloody news item up. That's great, isn't it? Didn't Santa bring it for you? No, he's a... Oh. Really, really should leave that in. That's just superb. That, that, that's just great. It's a great release. I recommend it to everyone, but I haven't got it. No, I haven't got it just yet. In fact, I don't even know what the extras are. Call them up in my... He's making it up as he goes along. So you see, what are names? You're seriously going to review something you haven't even seen? No, I just think it's a review roundup of the year, isn't it? And it's a, it's a good release for the year, so... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, let it, let him go with that. I think this I think this could be good. Go on. <laughs> I want to hear what you think you might have on it. I can tell you what's got. So what's the transfer like? How good it is. What's it sound like? It, it's spectacular, actually. <laughs> it trances the old uh, the old single disc. Which website are you reading? <laughs> I've just got it on Amazon. If you if you go to uh, DVD <laughs> Diva, it shows Amazon. you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, this should totally be left in. It, should, it, should, it really should be, yeah. I don't have to talk about it. <laughs> I've quite happily go on to Sam Peckinpah's Legendary Westerns collection, which I do have. Do that, do that. If anybody's, hey, li- if anybody's listening to this, we'll actually review titles that we've got. Uh, okay then, Simon. So mm-hmm. you're going to talk about something that you've actually got then? Do the Sam Packenbar one. Let's do the Sam Packenbar one, yeah. Yeah, um, do that. Okay. So I, I just want to go and grab it actually, so I've got it in front of me. One sec. <laughs> Is this to prove to us that he's actually got it? <laughs> oh. <laughs> so that's enough of us bearing our souls to you. And just to prove that I'm not cruel to everyone else that works on the podcast, this was my attempt at trying to record a passage for a review back in podcast number nine. It was for Kingdom of Heaven, and I had particular trouble with one word. Seen through the eyes of the main character played by Orlando Bloom, we witness struggle for Jerus- Jerusalem during the Crusades. <laughs> Seen through the eyes of the main character played by Orlando Bloom, we witness a struggle for Jerusalem. Jerusalem. <laughs> Seen through the eyes of the main character played by Orlando Bloom, we witness a struggle for Jerusalem. Jerusalem! Bloom, Jerusalem. <laughs> Stop it, man. Seen through the eyes of the main character played by Orlando Bloom, we witness a struggle for the Holy City during the Crusades. Thank you very much for listening to our blooper reel this year. I'm sure that we're going to have even more material for you next year. And all that's left to say is have a happy 
and prosperous new year. Made by enthusiasts. For enthusiasts. Wow, a free movie, thanks. This is the AV Podcast. And that's all we've got time for in this week's episode. We hope you found the look back at 2006 interesting. All that's left is for us to wish you a happy new year for 2007 and ask you to join us again on January the 10th when the AV Podcast returns. This is Jason Bradbury saying thanks for listening, stay subscribed and tell your friends. The AV Podcast was presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Player Review Team were Chris McAnini, Cass Harlow, Simon Crust and Seth Gecko. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.